You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Claire Douglas on the show with me. She has an amazing new book uh, that's out, available everywhere now when you're hearing this. It's called Then She Vanishes, and this is an edge-of-your-seat thriller that you guys are absolutely going to love. I could not put it down, and I know that uh, this is going to be one of those books that you just stick in your your bag or your purse or whatever it is and because you'll want every moment that you have available to read you'll want this book handy to uh to dig into uh welcome to the show claire thank you thanks for having me absolutely um claire we begin each show with the same question and that question is what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller I remember I was at school, I was about seven, and the teacher was talking about Enid Blyton, who was a, a big sort sure. of English children's writer here. And um, she was, she, she said, she said, I remember her saying to us, uh, and a writer of a book is called an author. And I remember thinking, that's what I want to do. I just, just remember really clearly thinking, I want to be an author straight away. And, and, that, and that was the first time I'd actually heard the word author. So yeah, that was then seven, age of seven. I love that. I love that it's a very specific memory. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's fantastic. So were were there uh, any other creative type people in your family? May, storytellers, uh, writers themselves, musicians, in, anyone that sort of stoked those fires for you? Yeah. Well, my dad. My dad was really musical, um, and he was like he was in a band when he was younger. So he liked to play. He was a keyboard player. And so, and but no, not really. Oh, my mum, my mum said that she once at school wrote a story, and the teacher didn't believe that she'd made it up. That the teacher thought she'd stolen it from someone else. Like, from, <laughs> so I thought mum must have had a bit of a talent there that she just never actually, you know, did anything with. Um, but apart from that, not really. We came, I came from like a very working class family. It was all about, you know, going and getting a good job. You know, going, being the sure, secretary, sure. or you know, working in an office. It was all very. There was no time for anything too, you know, creative. Very, very <laughs> responsible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Claire, when, uh, you know, from that moment at age seven where I want to be an author, um, did, how did you start building on that? How did you go from the desire to wear the, the tag author to actually becoming one? What, what were some of the, um, what were f- some of the first exercises that you did, stories that you wrote, or or yeah. r- what was it that sort of built that up in you? Yes, yeah, so I, st- I used to write stories a lot, especially as a teenager in my bedroom. I would just sit up in my bedroom, listen to music, write stories. And then I realized there was a few magazines, like women's fiction magazines. So I sure. thought I'm going to try and send stories to them. So I spent like years sending them short stories, really, really bad ones. And then I realised that they, need, they needed a bit of a twist and they needed, you know, something a bit. So I wrote one when I was at university. So I went to university to be a journalist because I thought if I was a journalist, then that's writing of sorts. Even though it's not fiction, I thought it might help me get into it. So I was, I was a journalist. So I was doing a degree as a journalist. 
And while I was there, I wrote a short story for a magazine and it got accepted. And I just I remember being at my mum saying, I've, I've had some great news because for me, it was the first time someone had actually paid me some money for something that I'd yeah, written. It was yeah. fiction, like a story. So, yeah, that was that was the main that was a really lovely moment. That was a big moment for me when I thought maybe I can do this. Because, you know, you you'd sort of you sort of think, oh, I got to know somebody in the industry. It's really hard to get into. But actually, I think if you if you're you know determined enough and you want to do it, you can. But it, but you don't realise that when you're younger. You just think, oh, I'm never going to this is never going to happen for me. You know. Right. Well, it, it's uh, it, it, it does seem like such an insurmountable uh, challenge in the beginning. Um, but, you know, like most things in life, you you learn to take things piece by piece and you conquer this thing and then the next thing becomes a little easier and the next thing and the next thing you know you know we're we're talking about a new book that's published yeah i know it's amazing really so from enid blyton to now then she vanishes which is uh just published um who were some of your influences that that got you um that really, uh, you know, founded your love for these sorts of twisty, um, you know, stories that uh, kind of rip our hearts out and and make us, you know, trying to catch our breath. I think I think Agatha Christie. I've always loved Agatha Christie, oh, yeah. Miss Marple. <laughs> um, and so I like I love you know like watch them on TV, reading them, uh, and even like Enid Blyton back back when we were kids. You know, it was the Famous Five, and they were always like there was always a mystery they had to solve. I loved things where there was a mystery. That had to be solved. Um, and then as I got older, um, the her, my favorite my favorite author actually is Lisa Jewell, who I know um, oh, yeah. US readers will know. Um, she's brilliant. I think her books are brilliant. Um, so there's yeah. So I think I think mainly as a sort of teenager, it was Agatha Christie. And then as I got older, it was authors like yeah Lisa Jewell. When I realised that you could actually write thrillers that didn't involve necessarily police procedural. Because I, I wasn't, you know, I've never been in the police. It's quite a lot of research. Um, I, I, I wanted to write books that are more about normal people who just happen to stumble upon some type of mystery or crime that people would think, oh, this could happen to me. You know, this, this is sort of something that could just happen to anyone. Um, so that was what, and I think that's what I like about Lisa Jules' books, because they're like that. Um, whereas I could to Christie, as much as I love them, they are obviously, there's, there's normally a um, sort of detective. Although Miss Marple obviously is an amateur sleuth but you know with this i wanted it to be just normal people who happen to stumble upon something like a mystery well, you know a couple of years ago when um the uh, murder on the orient express had its 100th anniversary and mm-hmm. there was a lot of press about it and a, you know a lot of um you know they, they redid the movie and uh, you know yeah. republished special editions and all of that and uh i I went with my kids to see that movie in the theater and I was just awestruck um, really at watching them watch that movie yeah. at at how well her stories have held up through the years. Um, you know, there are certain genres that just you can tell these stories at any time in any place and they they just matter, um, you know, while. There might be some genres, um, science fiction, maybe that uh, you know that, that we love, but yeah. you have to be careful with how those stories are going to age, and maybe that's why a lot of science fiction stories are, you know, five hundred years in the future because you know <laughs> we'll all be gone before those stories age out. Um, yeah. 
what do you think it is about mysteries that make them so timeless? And and you know, of course, there are set pieces in the books that age, and you know, there there are certain things in Agatha Christie books that that we just can't connect with because the times have changed, but the yeah. heart of the story is absolutely timeless. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think it's because the the sort of motives are always sort of like passionate things like money or jealousy or you know, things that we can always relate to. I think I think Agatha Christie always always has those sort of themes in her books, doesn't she? It's normally like, you know, a group of friends or a group of or family or they all know each other. There's also always some sort of revenge or, you know, and I think we can all relate to that. You know, we can all understand that. So it doesn't matter what time period it's in we can still think, yes, you know, I, I know how it feels, you know, to be jealous. Or you can imagine what it's like for those people or to have revenge or whatever, or, you know, I think that's probably why, do you think? Yeah, yeah, probably. They're really stories about the human condition, aren't they? Yeah, and I think that's the thing, like human interest stories where we could all think, yes, we can understand, we can um, relate to that, I think. So, so, Claire, what was the first book that you had published? So it was a book called The Sisters, um, and that got published. So that was so I'd written quite a few books before this, which all got rejected, and I wasn't quite sure what genre I wanted to write. So I started off writing sort of rom coms, even though it wasn't really a good fit for me because I do love thrillers and I've always loved thrillers. Um, but then I started writing The Sisters, and I didn't start off wanting to write a thriller. I just in my head I just had this story, and then it became quite dark. And but it was actually for a competition. There was a competition for a magazine that were asking for the first three chapters of a book and the synopsis. Um, and the the prize was a it was a, um, a contract with like HarperCollins. So I I didn't think for one minute I'd ever win, but I just sent it anyway. I thought oh, I might as well send it. I've started to write this book. I've written the three chapters. So I sent it off and I didn't hear anything back for months. And then. By in September, I remember about three months later, I got this phone call from Marie Claire, who, which is a magazine, and they just said to me, "Oh, you entered a competition." And I thought, when they ringing me, I thought, "Oh, they're going to ring. They're ringing me about a subscription to the magazine." And then when she said, "You've won. You've won the competition," I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. It was. It was like an X factor moment. You know, it was one of those. I was crying. I was like, "Oh my God, I can't believe." You know, it's just. I just couldn't believe. I couldn't believe it. I just. I'd forgotten all about the competition. I just didn't think for one minute. I'd entered so many competitions over the years. I just thought I never hear anything back. So and that I mean that changed my life really because they then published the sisters and then that's you know from then and then I got another publishing deal and that's how it it started really. So the I sister, yeah. The sisters has this great tagline, one lied, one died. I love <laughs> that immediately <laughs> makes you go, Oh my god, what is what is Claire doing here? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Um, you brought up a really great point that I'd like to talk about for just a second, if if you don't mind. Um, you said you started writing rom coms. Um, yeah. you obviously love rom coms, or or that wouldn't have been something that you thought yeah. about writing. But you also love thrillers. Yeah. Um, you know, as as writers, this is maybe a hard thing for some people to wrap their brain around. Um, because as humans, we love all sorts of things. Like I love to watch a great rom-com with my wife and, and my daughters. And, and I love that. And, and I also love to watch an action adventure movie and, um, you know, and and something that's just pumped full of testosterone. I love that. Um, I also love a great murder mystery and I love, uh, you know, a great psychological suspense and, and I can love all of those things. Um, 
but the stories that I tell are different than yeah. than some of you know some of the the things that I absolutely love. Um, how how does someone find their niche as a storyteller, even though they can love all sorts of things? I know. I think it's quite hard. I think because I started off writing rom coms, I think I admired like rom com authors, quite a few rom com authors, and then. When I started writing The Sisters, it, it was supposed to be a rom-com. That's what it started off like. But then it got quite dark. It sort of became dark quite naturally as I started writing the story. And then I thought, this isn't a, a rom-com. This is like a, a thriller. And so it was almost like... The Sisters as a rom-com is uh, <laughs> it's maybe my favourite thing ever. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> in fact, in, in before, I'd written that book before as another. I called it something else. I called it Saving Lucy because it was about it's about the death of a sister, and it, that was a, like a, like a rom com. And I sort of took some of those characters and changed it. And as I was writing it, I thought I've gone past wanting to write rom coms now. I think I want to write this dark sort of story. And I think in my head, because I think publishers don't they? They like to put you in a sort of bracket of like your thriller writer or your rom com writer, or whatever. But when I started writing it. I was just writing the story. So I didn't really, it wasn't until I handed it in, you know, till I got the, to the publisher of Reddit and said, this is a psychological thriller. And I was like, oh, is it? I didn't really <laughs> consciously, you know, start writing it like that, but it just became like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website your home on the web where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Looking for a tool to help you visualize your story before the drafting begins? PlotPens is cloud-based and optimized for any device. There's nothing to download. From the new writer who isn't sure how to tell their story to the veteran who can increase their productivity dramatically, we've had experienced writers lay out a detailed structure for several novels in a series in a matter of a few days. The app takes you through four steps of the process. The concept or logline. Make sure you have a solid concept that you can keep coming back to throughout the process. The outline. 
12 beats and 3 acts, each has a description of what should be happening with examples. The board, 40 cards. We take the 12 beats and add sub-beats to those, breaking it down even further and being very specific about what should go into each. These also have examples and descriptions. Right. We take those 40 cards and turn them into a to-do list. For a 50,000 word book, it's about two cards per chapter roughly. We have a beautiful editor built into the app. You can export your manuscript to a PDF anytime with the click of a button. Let plot pins help you visualize your writing project. Use code HANK10 to get 10% off plot pins. Plotpins.com. So, so how many, um, with your new book, um, then she vanishes uh, is, is publishing here that will well first off let's explain something for the the listeners then she vanishes is brand new in the states but it was it was published a couple of years ago in the UK um, so you, you're you're publishing sort of multiple books in multiple markets at the same time or, or very close to the same time um, but how many books does this make for you uh, to be published now I think this one is my fifth. And that's okay. why is it, was it six? Because I've, I've actually let me just see. Yeah, it's my this is my fifth. So then she finishes my fifth, but I've also got, but I'm actually writing my seventh. So yeah, or eighth. I'm actually writing my eighth. Gosh, yeah. So this is yeah. <laughs> I've lost count. Yeah, this is my this is my this is my fifth. Then she publishing it. math. Publishing math is hard, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Math is my strong point anyway. So <laughs> yeah. So. So when, you know, from the sisters that that began as a rom-com that then obviously, you know, morphed into the, the thing that we have now that that we love to then she vanishes, which is, you know, possibly number five, number seven, who knows, um, <laughs> you know, when uh, how has your writing style morphed between those two from from the beginning of of not knowing exactly where you fit to then you know, feeling more confident as that book is, is published. And then I'm, I'm assuming book number two, number three, number four become yeah. easier as you are more solidified in the, in the, the genre and, yeah. and, you know, fully embrace that. Um, how, how, how has your writing process changed over that time? I think, I think you're right. I think the confidence thing, I think, because when they said to me, this is a psychological thriller, I thought, right, this is, this is, what I'm doing so then with with the local gold missing which was my next book that was like a that was a proper I could go really dark with that because I think with the sisters when I was writing it I, I thought can I go dark with this you know what are they expecting are they expecting a sort of light well not light but like a dark woman's fiction or they expecting like a thriller whereas with local gold missing I could definitely think right this is a thriller this is definitely a thriller and I think as each one's gone on I think they get I think personally they get darker I think they get darker and I think I think I, I get more confident and thinking I can I can go dark. I can go as dark as I want, which is quite nice. I like going dark because in real life I'm quite I'm quite light, so it's quite nice to be dark in the books. <laughs> and that is what I've discovered about writers: is the the darker a person writes, usually the more charming, um, you know, yeah. lighthearted they are in real life. It's it's such a uh, it's such a dichotomy that that writers <laughs> inhabit. Yeah, I think it's like a therapy. You get all your dark thoughts <laughs> on the page. <laughs> right, right. So that then you can live your life just as light and free as you want because you've done yeah. all the all the darkness on the page. Yeah, I think so. 
<laughs> so Claire, when you start a new book, um, I, I love hearing about the beginnings of things because at one moment, um, then she vanishes, does not exist in any form or, or fashion. It just, it, it just doesn't exist. Then yeah. either you start thinking about a character, maybe she walks on the stage of your mind and, you know, you start asking yourself, who is this character and who is she connected with and what horrible yeah. thing can I do to her? Um, yeah. You know, and or maybe you think of a plot point. Maybe you've read a newspaper article or or as if anyone reads newspapers anymore or, or <laughs> you know, watch the news or, or you know, something, a, a story idea comes and then you start casting that story for lack of a better term. And then yeah. in one way or another, then she vanishes does exist. And yeah. then it, it's your job as the writer to kind of excavate that story as you go through and 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 it becomes a thing. Uh, how does that usually begin for you? Does it begin with a character? Does it begin with a scenario that you're thinking through? What What's yeah. that first inkling of inspiration? I think it's a scenario. So with Then She Vanishes, I was remember I remember I was writing um, my previous book, which was Do Not Disturb. And as I was writing Do Not Disturb, which is this is very rare for me, really. But as I was writing Do Not Disturb, this character of Heather kept coming into my mind. This this woman, so Heather's a woman who goes and she shoots right at the beginning of the book. She shoots two people. And um, so, you know, you know, you know straight away that, you know, this has happened. And and this I could get this out of my head that, that this character has done this. And, and why? Like, why? with this nice, you know, quiet mother of one, married mother who lives in a, you know, quite a small little life. Why would she do this? Like, why would she? And also, I also kept thinking about the other character, which is Jess, who's a journalist, because I was a journalist. And I kept thinking, when I was a journalist, imagine if I was writing a story for the paper and the story I was writing was about someone I used to know and that they'd done something awful, like some awful crime. What would, you know, how would I go about doing that? How would I cover that? And so that was that was the, that was the sort of like little bit of spark of information inspiration I had for this. And then as I was writing Do Not Disturb, I kept thinking I couldn't stop thinking about this this story. It was a story I really wanted to write. It was very strange actually. It's the first time this has happened so vividly with a book. So, Hello, Claire. Are you are you there? Uh, sorry, it went a bit. I think our weather's not great here. Do, can you hear me? Yeah, I, I can hear you now. You just you, you went silent for a moment. Yeah, so I, I think. Was, I was... Yeah, I think it clicked out. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're we're good now, though. If, um... Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think the inspiration for that was quite a vivid sort of um, picture in my head of this of this woman who'd who'd committed a crime, and then the journalist who would had to cover it because she knew her from school. So that was a big. So, so tell tell me about the the characters. Um, uh, in in then she vanishes. What tell tell me about this, um, this group of people and how how did you start thinking about them and and kind of discovering who they are? Yeah. So Jess, who's the journalist. So she, even though she's not based on me because she's quite a she's quite a hard person. This this Jess. But sure. what I what I thought it was more like I kept thinking about how when I was a journalist writing for like a local newspaper if something had come up like a crime that I might have known that person from school so that that was one of the big things for me Jess Jess was working for this newspaper and she sees this this incident's happened where this woman's killed two people and she realizes that this is her best friend from school and it's like oh my god you know what am I going to do I've got to cover the story but I've got to be I've got to cover it dispassionately 
so that was that was my and also Jess has come so Jess was a journalist working for a local for a big newspaper in London and she had to come she came down to the town that she grew up in because she was sort of disgraced from the paper she was working at before but she did something that was not ethical so she sort of she wasn't she was she was sort of sacked and then she was moved and then she had to go and work at this local newspaper from the place where she used to live so for her it's like she feels like a, a demotion but she yeah then she then she sees this this um case come up about this girl who's killed two people and that's when she thinks oh no i've got to cover the story and hilarity ensues um Claire, when when you start thinking of a new book, um, because you have really solidified yourself in the genre that you write in, do, do you start thinking about um, genre things when you're when you're working on the the beginnings of a novel? Like, do do you start thinking of like where will if I'm thinking about the story, how will a twist come in, or where can I misdirect the reader? Do, do you think about those things when you're writing? Yes, definitely. So before I start a book, I always know how it's going to end, what the twist is and who who did it, basically. Hello. Hello, hello Claire. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. So did you hear me? Sorry. It's, it's not great. Is it? Um, yeah. So I always know who the um, perpetrator is, what they did, you know, the twist and how sure. it ends. Yeah, that's the that's the three things I always know. And then sometimes things happen as I'm going along, as I'm writing. Gotcha. So do you, you know, in the in the writer community, we like to think of people as planners or plotters or uh, plotters and and pantsers as, you know, people that write by the seat of their pants. Um, Do you fall firmly into one of those categories or you or are you a a hybrid of both? You say that you you know, these these story uh, beats, uh, if you want to look at it that way, a, a few of them as you go into it and you're writing sort of toward those or or how do you kind of approach the the writing structure yeah so I, I again I think I'm a bit of a both because I sort of know what's going to happen a little bit but then I also um as, as I'm going along I suddenly think oh this this is what's got to happen here because the characters start to take over a little bit so even though you sort of know roughly the character as you're writing the character the character also starts to take off a life in its own so then the character does something and you're like oh I didn't expect that so I'm a bit of both, I'd say. Have you ever had a character in a in a story that just decided to do her own thing and it completely changed what you thought the story was going to be? Yes, I think that was particularly for the sisters, I think, as well. That definitely happened because with the sisters, I really remember thinking that it was going to go a certain way and then it didn't. I was like, oh, this is <laughs> this isn't what I thought was going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I think that happens quite a lot, actually. You, you've got a set idea and then suddenly it takes off on a, on a tangent that you don't expect, that you don't plan for. But I quite like that because it's exciting. Absolutely. And does that um, does that keep the excitement of writing? You know, that uh, one of the arguments that you hear from from pantsers when they're talking about plotters is, well, they've taken all the excitement out of the story. And, you know, if you know how the story is going, um, you know, there, there's nothing exciting in the day-to-day writing, and you know, then then plotters will say, "Well, 
no, it's because I know that that the the story is exciting. I I know what I get to write that day. Um, are are there things that you do to keep um to keep yourself excited about the story as you're writing? Um, you know, to, and and how do you stay motivated every day to put in the work? Yeah, I think I think I like to have a few plot points. So, like, say I like to have. A beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, I'd like to know how it ends. I like the twist to know what the twist is. But then everything else, I sort of think it's quite nice for that to evolve naturally. But also, what I'll do is if, when I write the ch- a chapter and I suddenly have an idea for the next chapter, I'll write at the end of that chapter, so like a little note to myself for the next day to say she finds the body today or whatever. Or you know, so I so I know when I go back to it the next day that I sort of roughly know what I'm going to write, even though I don't know exactly, but because otherwise it's sort of you know you don't want to sort of meander too much because that can happen as well like if you don't know what's going to happen you might start meandering and again a bit you know baggy so that's that's how I try to keep it as, as a tight sort of storyline when when you get toward the end of the writing process and you you're going through revisions and and you know there comes a point where before the book is published you're you're going through edits and revisions and and you've reworked the book and you've reworked this character and this plot point and you just kind of become done with it you know you're like i'm i'm so over the story there's there's you know it, it's been through so much i i'm ready to do something else um do you is there ever a moment where then a new story idea comes in and you become just excited all over again for the process to start yeah yeah that's a nice feeling actually because because especially like you do get lots of rounds of edits you know you might get like three or four rounds of edits and then you just think oh yes I want you know I want to start a new story now because I feel like I'm done with the story so yeah I think it's it's nice when you have this new idea for the next story I get excited like we you know <laughs> wanted to start again I get right. excited thought of the beginning of a story I love writing the beginnings the best I think <laughs> Then She Vanishes is available everywhere now in Kindle edition or hardcover or audiobook. Um, you should go grab it today. There's going to be links in the show notes where you can find it. Um, Claire, what, what do you feel about or how do you feel about your books uh, being translated to audio? You know, audio is 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 a booming market right now in, in publishing. Um, do, do you listen? Do you like to listen to your books in audio? And is, is that... Uh, sort of a, a dissociative feeling hearing your own words come to life yeah it's really strange but i love it i must admit i love it and i always listen to them and i it's yeah I, it's good because it almost feels like it's not my book when right. i saw when I, you know it's because it, it sort of takes you out of you sort of forget almost when i listen to it i'm like oh my god this is mine <laughs> because someone else is talking but i love i love I, especially with do not disturb because the, the, the actress had a lovely welsh accent because the main character is welsh and that was lovely to hear. I was like, oh, this is nice. And actually, Venge Vanishes is good because it's got a few different narrators. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Then She Vanishes is available everywhere now when you're hearing this. Uh, like I said, there's links in the show notes to make it easy uh, for folks to to find it and go grab it. Uh, Claire, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Yes, yeah, so I'm on. I'm Claire. I'm Dougie. I'm Dougie Claire on Twitter. Um, I'm also Claire Douglas author on Instagram. I have a Facebook page, um, and then and then Amazon. I'm on Amazon. So yeah, 
Excellent. Yeah. We'll link those up as well. Claire, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me. It's been lovely to talk to you. And we'll cut it right there. Uh, That was fantastic, Claire. Thank you. Did it keep cutting out? Was it okay? It it was just a couple of times, but I can clean that up in editing. It it won't be any big deal. But uh, yeah, it was was solid for the most part, but you just kind of ghosted out a a time or two, but it'll be fine. Such a shame, isn't it? I think the weather here is so bad. I don't know if I'm going to problem. I don't know. I'm sorry about that. But, no, they, you're perfectly fine. It was great. Oh, uh, but when we release this, we'll send you a link to it and we'll promote it everywhere. Oh, lovely. Thanks so much. It's been so lovely. Thanks for talking Thank to me. Thank you, Claire. Have a great day. And you. Okay. Take it. Bye. Bye. Wargate Books presents Hit and Fade Forgotten Ruin Book Two by Jason Ansbach and Nick Cole. Narrated for you by Christopher Ryan Grant. Chapter 1. The army of the dead walked straight into our ambush east of Fortress Hawthorne. That's what the fob is called now, Fortress Hawthorne. Despite it being officially known as Forward Operating Base Hawthorne, as was originally intended when the 50 detachments of various special operations groups came forward through time from Area 51, a one-way mission to save Western civilization from a rampaging nano-plague destroying the very fabric of said civilization. Apparently, we overshot the temporal insertion point and stuck the landing. Sorta. About 10,000 years too late. Said civilization is now basically something straight out of Tolkien, or Dungeons and Dragons which we've all now gotten a lot more familiar with thanks to our resident expert and fledgling hedge wizard, the infamous PFC Kennedy. But the Rangers just call it the FOB. The first of our explosives to ruin the leading elements of the Army of the Dead advancing on us, Claymore Mines, the recaptured forge back at Hawthorne, had cranked out in the weeks after we'd retaken it from King Triton, were fired by Ranger Sergeant Kang down there with the scouts and Captain Knifehand's assaulters. It was close to midnight when the front rank of bony warriors, carrying rotting shields and spears, eyes glowing malevolently in the deep night mist, advanced into our ambush, only to get ruined by the daisy-chained Claymore's sudden eruption. Above us, a cloud-shrouded moon cast a wan yellow light over the battlefield. The night was hot, and spring was coming on full now. The pilots who'd gotten us here in the grounded C-17 back at Ranger Alamo, using their meteorology skills, had guessed it was going to be a long, hot summer ahead of us, and an early one at that but there was a cold shiver in the dark on your exposed skin that you couldn't quite explain when you saw the dead advancing rank after rank. The bone warriors carrying spear and shield, other darker creatures barely seen. The lower areas of the earth were graveyard cool and misty, so maybe that was it. Still, The brutal, unrelenting cold of our almost last stand back at Ranger Alamo was gone now. But not the horrors. 
There wasn't a night that some ranger didn't wake up out of a tormented sleep, breathing heavy, sidearms scanning the dark and looking for orcs and ogres to ventilate. I was sweating in the hour leading up to the attack, despite the night and the mist. Kurtz had us humping hard to get the 240 and all its ammo up to the top of a small hill that overlooked the area where we'd channel the advancing echelons of the Army of the Dead into further fun and games the rangers had planned at a bend in a riverbed. If the approaching Army of the Dead continued on their current course track, they'd enter it for a brief period. It was decided by the captain we'd kill them there. And I was sweating. Not because of fear. No, not at all. Firing, whispered Sergeant Kang over the comm as he detonated the mines. And eight daisy-chained claymores spat thousands of steel balls all across the front line of what even I was still finding it hard to believe I was seeing through my night vision device. Skeletons. Warrior skeletons. Ancient warriors like something out of the Bronze or Iron Ages. Worked breastplates of molded plate or rotting scales. Green and tarnished, stamped with the markings of fabled armies fallen in battles long, long ago. Leather cuirasses on some. Rotting boots. Helms with broken horns, missing teeth, tattered leather kilts. Beads and charms dangling from bone wrists. Enigmatic holy signs and primal torques black with grave dirt or from a funeral pyre long ago on some forgotten battlefield far from here, draped about the spine where the throat should be. Where it rises to connect to a bone-white skull that seems filled with malevolent purpose and diabolical intelligence. Malignantly so. Walking skeletons like something out of a Ray Harryhausen clay model Sinbad epic from the 1960s. Above, the sliver of moon gave enough light to strengthen our NVGs, making the night vision devices perform exceptionally well as we sprang our trap and watched the advancing elements get rocked by our initial high-explosive opening bid in the game we were about to play. The air was still and hot in the moments before the fight began as we lay there in the tall, sharp grass, waiting for it all to go down. I was thinking a hot cup of coffee would be nice about now, except my canteen only had cold coffee I'd brewed during the long, silent, and windy afternoon of preparation. Still, I was happy knowing I had some, rather than none. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.